Hello, people of the way. This is a topical message about the mark of the beast and the mark of the beast system. Um, is it okay to take the mark of the beast? Uh, the short answer is no. Don't do that. Do not take the mark of the beast. I'm going to give an explanation why. Uh, but I am greatly concerned with a rising thought in the church. Uh, and I have to say that there is a heavy concentrate of this thought among Reformed theology people, uh, people who adhere to Reformed theology, uh, mainline Presbyterianism, uh, uh, Calvinistic leanings, this rising thought that it, it, it is entirely okay to take the mark of the beast. Now, I have to say that this is not an attack on Reformed theology. You know, I still, I, I consider uh, uh, Reformed theology people my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but as we get closer to the last days, certain things are going to be exposed, uh, uh, certain leanings. Um, and so it, 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 some major, major questions are going to be presented to the church as we get closer to the last days. You know, one of them, a, a biggie, is going to be the rapture of the church. Another one is going to be the mark of the beast. Another is going to be uh, 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 the rise of the Antichrist in this world system, this globalist system. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I have to say that this, this concentrate of this idea that it's okay to take the mark of the beast, I see heavy concentrates of it in Reformed theology. Uh, a little comment about the pre-tribulation rapture. If you adhere to a pre-tribulation rapture, this isn't an attack on you either. It's, you know, it, it consider this a safeguard in the event you miss the rapture and you're a, a, a tribulation saint. Okay, that's in accordance with pre-tribulation rapture theory. Me personally, I don't hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. I do not. I've been told, I've shared that with people, and I've been told I'm going to burn in hell. I've been called demonic. I've been called satanic. I've been called a messenger of Satan, which, you know, I understand, you know, I get, you know, but it, it, it's, it's kind of sad. Not for me. It's kind of sad because of, you know, if, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you know, it, it's you listen to our study about uh, uh, when is the rapture. That's the title of the message. When is the rapture? Just do a search for it and you'll find it. When is the rapture? But this isn't a topic about the rapture. This is specifically about the mark of the beast system. And is it okay to take the mark of the beast? And what I'm seeing and what we're seeing is that among a reformed theology, many, many are saying that it is okay to take the mark of the beast. And, you know, I'm going to play a little uh, two-minute audio, the, the two-and-a-half-minute audio. It's from John MacArthur. And it's where a, he has a Q&A session with his, uh, with his, uh, uh, in his church. And a parishioner asks him if it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Now, this isn't an attack on Reformed theology. It's not an attack on John MacArthur. I have certain sentiments about John MacArthur, but, you know, that I'll, I'll keep those to myself for now. Okay, this isn't an attack either way. It's to say, wait a second, let's shed some light on this, on this new teaching that's arising in these last days. So uh, let's listen to this audio. To the latter half of the tribulation period, when, when men would be required to have the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. My question is, uh, once a person takes the mark, is there any possibility of him coming to Christ? 
So that was a question of one of the parishioners during a Q&A session. He just says, you know, can a person who takes the mark of the beast uh, still come to Christ? Can they uh, come to Christ? Can this person still be saved? So let's listen to the answer. Yes, uh, I think, you know, in the seven-year tribulation coming in the future, we're going to get into this, so probably a week from Sunday night, maybe this Sunday night, maybe a week, I'm not sure. But um, the tribulation is a seven-year period, right? The rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation, then Christ returns, sets up his kingdom. Now, in that seven-year period, really two things happen. God begins to judge the world with a series of holocausts, and at the same time, he begins to redeem his people, Israel. And in the process of this, the Antichrist establishes his rule, and in order to function in the economy of the Antichrist, you have to take the mark of the beast. Uh, the mark being the number of a man, Revelation 13, 666. Six is the number of man, right? Seven is the number of perfection, and man always falls short of perfection. Six, 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 six. Always six is never seven. So the number of a man. And apparently what's going to happen, you take the mark on your hand or on your forehead. And we've talked a lot about that, you know, that, uh, that that's kind of the computer situation. We're now moving fast toward the time when we're going to have to do everything we do by cards and by numbers and all of that. And uh, uh, those numbers, the thing about a card that's a problem is you lose it and they've already devised systems to put the number on your hand and on your forehead. You go through a scanner and, you, you know, that's how you buy and sell. It's automatically deducted from your bank account. Now, the question is, if you're living in the tribulation period, and you take this mark, in other words, you identify with the beast's empire, will you still be able to be redeemed? And I think the answer to that is yes. Yes, otherwise there would be no salvation of anybody in the end of the tribulation. And you've got to have the salvation of folks in the end of the tribulation. You're going to have the Jews redeemed. You're going to have, according to Revelation chapter 7, an innumerable number of Gentiles redeemed, so many they can't even be counted across the face of the earth. So I don't think the fact that someone takes that is a sentence to, a, to permanency any more than you being a part of this world system once in your life means you have to be a part of the system all your life. Well, especially when the 144,000 don't start their ministry till the second half. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That make it a little tough. Yeah. So uh, that was the quick audio file that we had to play and listen to, and it's you know it's a, a great concern of mine. This teaching that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Now, I have to stress this isn't an attack on John MacArthur, um, but it is uh, a lot of things are called into question. Is it okay to take the mark of the beast? He says the answer is yes. I say the answer is no. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say. In Revelation 13, we're going to talk in, in, first in verse 1. That's where we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 13 in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, this isn't a topic about uh, 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 the pre-tribulation rapture. Me personally, I don't hold to a pre-tribulation rapture teaching. I don't hold to that. And, you know, I have to stress if, if you're wondering about that, listen to this sermon. You know, listen to this one, but then, you know, listen to the other one that's about uh, when is the rapture. It's very important to understand these things as the, these uh, these things as the church enters the last days as we get closer and closer into the last days. Here in Revelation chapter one, verse or, or Revelation chapter thirteen, verse one, this is John. He's receiving a vision, and a series of the, the entire book of Revelation is just a series vision after vision after vision after vision. 
Remember, the world was, he was left for dead. You know, he was, they, they tried to kill him. Historically, they tried to kill him, uh, um, and he, they, they left him for dead. He couldn't die, so they just says, okay, we're going to put him on a working party in, on the island of, of Patmos. So, forgotten by the world. But what's so beautiful, not forgotten by the Lord. And the Lord gave him vision after vision after vision for us, for the church throughout the ages. But, you know, in the last days, you know, the last days generation, we're going to see what the Lord has to teach us. And in verse 1 here says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten ten horns. You know, when you read the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, you're going to see this uh, beast arise also out of the sea. Da- remember, Daniel had a vision. And when you get to the last book in Daniel, actually in uh, Daniel 12, I'll read it really quick. In Daniel 12, even Daniel, he wanted to know in, in Daniel 12 verse 8. He says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And in verse 9, and he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10 is key. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You know, and then it's very important to understand these things, these prophecies even Daniel he wanted to understand the visions that he was having that the Lord was giving him and the angel of the Lord told him no it's not for you Daniel it's for the people of the end you know it's for the people of the end he says in verse 13 go your way to the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days and you know what we're looking at here in Revelation 13 are the end of the days and end of the age the end of the age So when you read in Revelation 13, verse 1, when John sees a beast rising up out of the sea, this is the same vision that the Lord has given to Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. In verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. In Daniel's vision, when you read Daniel 7, you'll see also the leopard, the bear, the lion. And then you'll see, it doesn't say it's a dragon. It just says like this, uh, 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 a dreadful and terrible beast with teeth, you know, teeth of iron. You'll see it's described in Daniel 7. And so what is it revealed here in verse 2? The dragon gave him his power. This is Satan. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. In Revelation 13, there's two beasts. One is the beast from the sea, and the other is the beast from the earth. Look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Now, a lot of people, they say, okay, the Antichrist, he's going to have like a head wound. It could be that's the case, but I don't think so. Because in Revelation uh, uh, 17, verse 9, it's revealed that the seven heads are seven mountains. And so I don't know how that's going to, uh, today, I can't say with uh, authority that, you know, that's, it means this. I can't say that with authority. But as we progress further in the last days, as certain things are revealed, I might be able to, and not just me, but, you know, Christians will be able to understand these prophecies as certain things come to pass. It's going to become more clear. 
more clear. Like, okay, if, you know, in, 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 in uh, Revelation 17 verse 9 says the seven heads are seven mountains, how does that correlate to what we see uh, geopolitically on the world scene as we progress further in the last days? Remember, you know, the Lord can tarry. The, 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 all these events of the last days could happen, you know, in months, in years, in decades, in centuries, in millennia. But when you look at the, 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 the stage of the world that we're in right now, you're starting to, to see the converging of various prophecies. The convergence. We're in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. Early 2000s, you didn't have certain pieces together. Now, we do. You know, we even have red heifers. I don't know if you saying we, but I mean, it's on the world stage. There's two qualified red heifers that within a year and a half have to be sacrificed for, for, for the, 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 the uh, uh, construction of the third temple. That's tonight. There's already two qualified. There might be more, but, you know, the ones I've heard about since early June, uh, two qualified red heifers. There was four, but blemishes were found on a couple. So there's, you know, if those two stay qualified, then within a year and a half, they have to be uh, 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 sacrificed. They have to be killed. And, and, you know, in accordance with the law. I'm not advocating the law, but I am advocating the understanding of prophecy. And so in verse uh, 2, in the middle says, The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. In verse 14 of the same chapter says that he's wounded by the sword. Translates as war. So, you know, if in Revelation 17 verse 9 says the seven heads are seven mountains, but then, you know, in verse 14 says that the wound is by the sword or war, then how does that equate to on the world scene today? Today, you know, I can't say with definity, with definitive specificity that it is this, you know, it is, you know, blank, whatever it is. But I can say, you know, as we, you know, who knows what the, what the world stage is going to look like in five years, two years, six months. You know, the world scene can change on a dime. We've seen that. Look at coronavirus. Look how the world changed so quickly. I mean, just six months ago, who would have thought that nations would be shut down economically? Who would have thought? Just six months ago. And yet, here we are. Shut down. So the world can change on a dime. Natural disasters. It's, it's, wars. It's not difficult to fathom the idea of the world changing in a heartbeat. And so as we look at this study here in verse uh, uh, 3, it says, uh, uh, um, And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Remember, this beast that is rising up out of the sea, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. It's purely satanic. Purely satanic. Satan's role in the last days. Of course, you know, his demons, his minions, they go out and deceive people. He's a deceiver. But the demons, like the lower echelon, you know, they go out and deceive people. They possess people, all kinds of wickedness and evil. But Satan himself, the dragon, gave this, this uh, the beast rising out of the sea his power, his throne, and great authority. You know, there's only two people in the Bible that are possessed by Satan. One of them was Judas Iscariot. 
The next one is the Antichrist, the son of perdition. So who is this person that's going to arise on the scene? Who is it? I don't know. Today I can't say with you know definitive clarity that this is the person, but the church will know. You say, wait a second, we're going to be raptured out of here. Maybe I'll say a little comment about the rapture. People say, oh, you know, we're going to be raptured. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Well, read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start in verse 1 and get to about verse 5 or 6 where it's revealed the, the revealing of the Antichrist. In verse 4, 5, and 6, the revealing of the Antichrist. The revealing of the Antichrist happens in the middle of the 70th week. And in verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church concerning our gathering together, concerning the revealing of Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. He says it won't happen until these things happen first. One of them is the revealing of the Antichrist. Another one is the falling away. Christians. Christians who are turning their back on Jesus Christ and denying the faith. Translates as apostasy in the Greek. So my motivation behind these these uh, topical messages, number one, it's spirit-led. But then number two, it's not, to, it's not an attack. It's to awaken the bride. Awaken the wise virgin. And say, hey, this is not a time to play games. Not a time to play games with the Lord. Our coming king. The coming bridegroom. Don't be, you know, there's ten virgins in Matthew 25. Five are foolish, five are wise. It's to awaken the five wise virgins. And so in verse uh, 3, in the end says, And the world marveled and followed the beast. That's what the world is yearning for right now. The world is yearning for somebody to emerge who will lead them. A leader of the world. A proclaimer of peace. Remember, you read prophecies in Daniel. It says he will enter peaceably. He's going to speak, you know, very eloquently, very smoothly, kind of like a used car salesman. You know, they speak good in language, good in speech. And then, you know, you end up buying a used car. He's going to enter peaceably, but it's fake peace. It's false peace. And the world's going to marvel and follow after the beast. In verse 4, so they worshipped the dragon. Worship. You know, in following this world system, this beast system, this system of the Antichrist, you know, people will worship the dragon. The Christian, you must worship Jesus Christ and Him only, Him alone. Even if you have to stand alone. This is like the church's opportunity, the church's uh, opportunity to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, t- take that with a grain of salt because I don't like saying, you know, be like these people. You know, be like our Lord. Make a stand for righteousness. You're your own individual. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. But what's so beautiful about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that we have an example of people who stood when the world worshipped. Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, what he had erected, the world falls down and worships, worship, except who stood? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In verse 4, so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. This word and, you know, they, uh, they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and it's kai, K-A-I, kai. We're going to talk about this more, but that's an important word, kai. 
And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So smooth talker, except wickedness emanates from his mouth. Wickedness. You read the prophecies of Daniel and it's wickedness, things spoken, pompous words against Jesus Christ, against the Almighty God. And he was given authority to continue, translates as make war, for 42 months. You know what 42 months is? Three and a half years. And Daniel 7 says a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. It's the last three and a half years. Because when the Antichrist is identified, it's in the middle of the 70th week. And, you know, in the middle of seven years, what's left? Three and a half years. And that's where you get this 42 months. In verse 6, Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. This is the abomination of desolation. The middle of the 70th week. And in verse 7, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And, you know, you know, I have to stress, too, if you think, okay, well, you know, the church isn't going to be here. The church isn't going to be here. Listen to our message about when is the rapture. It's very important to understand these things as we get further and further and further into the last days and the events leading into the last days. And to shed ourselves of stupidity, to shed ourselves of foolishness so that we can, you know, change from foolish to wise. And be changed from being five foolish to five wise. It's in preparation for the marriage. And so in verse 7, an authority was given to him, given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. It's very important to understand correlating prophecies. Such as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Where Paul writes that there's, you know, no love of the truth. That God will give strong delusion to those who have no love of the truth. And on top of that, there's a great falling away from the faith. Apostasy. People turning away from Jesus Christ. People who are in the fold and leaving the fold. I'll put it in other terms. People who are losing their salvation. If you're in the camp that says, oh yeah, once saved, always saved. What do these prophecies have to say about that? The great falling away, the apostasy, being in Christ and leaving Christ. You know, people say, you know, just as Jesus Christ says, you know that, that he won't, he won't lose, lose any of the sheep that God gives him, which is true. This isn't, this isn't Jesus Christ causing somebody to leave the faith. This is a person leaving the faith, choosing to leave the faith. Because remember, God didn't create robots. This is a person making their own choice. Me personally, I believe this has to do with the rapture. I mean, not the ra that rapture happening, but I believe uh, one of the root causes, one of them, among many, will be the rapture. People saying, oh, you know what? I've been told my whole life I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to see peace in Israel, the peace agreement with Israel. I wasn't supposed to see the uh, rebuilding of the third temple. So maybe everything that I've learned, everything that I believed was wrong. That's my personal convictions. We'll see. You know, we'll see how things pan out. 
but all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And when you see correlating prophecies, you know, remember there's going to be strong delusion given by God because there's no love of the truth. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No love of the truth. And because there was no love of the truth, God will send strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's at a time period in the middle of the 70th week, which correlates to the revealing of the Antichrist, which also correlates with the great falling away. In verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life in the book of life of the Lamb. Remember, names can go in and out of the book of life. Names can go in. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. Names going in the book of life and names coming out of the book of life. That fact alone, what does that say about once saved, always saved? When you see names going in and out of, out of the book of life. What does it say about once saved, always saved? I don't adhere to once saved, always saved. I don't adhere to that. I adhere to, you know, once saved, stay saved. You know, you know, people call that a workspace salvation. I don't see it as a workspace salvation. I see it as, you know, obedience and, you know, faith and works. Faith and works. Belief and obedience. The two are inseparable. The two work together. Faith and works. You believe? Okay, praise the Lord. Now, obey. You know, and, you know, you might do a little uh, trespass, you know, a little sidestep as reflected in our past studies and especially in Leviticus about transgression. A sidestep, that's literally how it translates to transgression. It's the sidestep. And a sidestep, when you're in Christ and you sidestep away from Him, it's not going to impact your salvation. But what can impact your salvation is more sidesteps. You know, you sidestep to the left, you better repent and get sidestep to the right. You know, you sidestep once, twice, thrice, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, and each time you do that, your heart gets harder. You become more deaf. You become more blind. And it can lead to apostasy, falling away. And just listen to our studies in, in Leviticus about uh, transgression. So names, Old Testament, New Testament, can go in the book of life and out of the book of life. In verse 8, it says, Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. In the last days, there's going to be a lot of deaf people and a lot of blind people. And the Lord says here in His Word, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Patience translates as endurance. Cheerful endurance and faith of the saints. And so that's the beast that comes up from the sea. Now let's look at verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And spoke like a dragon. Very interesting to note that, you know, one aspect is lamb-like. Another aspect is, aspect is dragon-like. You know, think of a drug dealer. You know, you hear me say these sometimes, you know, like a drug dealer. You know, and, you know, somebody who's trying to get you to take drugs. They want you to buy his or her product. And they say, oh, yeah, this is good, you know, to make you feel good. And you know, everything's nice, really nice guy. But once he has you trapped on those drugs, it's like you're his slave. He's got, you know, a customer. For a long time, he's got a customer. Somebody who will go into bankruptcy. Somebody who will sell all their money, start to sell their house, sell their car. 
so that he has enough money to buy his product. That's what I think about when I think about the false prophet. He's gonna, you know, he has two horns like a lamb. Oh, what a nice, innocent lamb. How beautiful, how precious this lamb. But yet he speaks like a dragon. Forked tongue. You see, it's very important to understand these things. Don't, you know, that's the danger behind this appeal to emotions. You know, it's what Satan does. First question in the Bible came from the serpent. Did God really say? Question the authority of God, the Almighty. Did God really say? And starting to appeal to the emotions. So it's not that emotions are a bad thing. Emotions are a good thing. But we have to keep them in check. Under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So regarding this beast that emerges from the earth, who's you know, had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, in verse 12 says, and he exercises or performs all the authority of the first beast, that's the beast from the sea, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So this beast from the earth is almost like a cheerleader, you know, for the beast from the sea. The beast from the sea is the Antichrist. The beast from the earth is the false prophet. I'll explain that in a little bit. So you have the Antichrist and the false prophet. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You see, it's like, whoa, the great signs. Great signs. That's why Jesus Christ, you know, he tells us. He says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. We don't believe in Jesus Christ by signs. We believe in Jesus Christ by faith. By faith. But think of the world. When this false prophet, when this, you know, cheerleader, this second right-hand man of the Antichrist brings fire down from heaven. Fire down from heaven on the earth. Fire from the sky falling down. I don't know what that's going to look like. I have an idea of what that can look like, but I can't say with you know specific clarity what that's going to look like. But the Bible just says he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. It's not going to be you know allegorical. It's in the sight of men. But remember that Jesus Christ says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. In verse 14, and he deceives or translates to seduces those who dwell on the earth. It's a spiritual seduction. I mean, I don't mean to get carnal in saying this, but you know, you see uh, seduction happen in a carnal sense too. How you know a seductress can pull a man away. How a seductor can uh, pull a woman away. It's seduction. It's just a spiritual uh, seduction. Spiritual seduction, deception, at the same time, in the middle of the 70th week, at the same time that there's no love of truth, strong delusion, and a great falling away. This is hardcore seduction. Hardcore deception for the church. Specifically designed for the church. Because Satan knows his time is short. So it says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. So he's using signs as a tool, kind of like candy. You know, when I was a little kid, they said, oh, don't take candy from a stranger. So what did I do? I never took candy from a stranger. 
And I remember I, I got scared because like in first grade, you know, I remember my first grade teacher, she gave an example. She's like, oh, don't take candy from a stranger. And we were like, oh, but it's good candy. You know, we're little kids, first graders. Oh, but it's good candy. And she had one of my friends stand up. She says, okay, here I have this Hershey bar. He says, do you want it? And she held out the Hershey bar. And my friend came up. And, you know, it was a little old lady, my first grade teacher. And my friend, you know, reached out to grab the candy. And getting, you know, like a foot away from the candy, six inches away, finally an inch away. And my teacher, she let go of the candy bar and grabbed his arm. And, you know, he was, we were all little kids. So, you know, she was a little old lady, but she was still stronger, stronger than us. And he couldn't fight her away. And she says, you know, that's what I'm talking about. That's why you never take candy from a stranger. Because a stranger can, you know, let go of the candy and reel you in. And all of us were like freaked out. Like, whoa, that's scary. Some of the girls were crying. They were scared. You know, it was like, whoa, you know. So I started to understand these things. Wow, don't take candy from a stranger. And that's what I see when I read this. It's like, you know, that's what he's using. This false teacher, this false prophet. Using signs, it says in verse 14, and he said, uh, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. It's like candy, spiritual candy. Wow, look at this sign. Look at this sign over here, fire from heaven. Look at all these signs being performed and people are being seduced to take the candy. Don't forget, it's at the same time that there's no love of truth, strong delusion, and the great falling away. How great this falling away is going to be when you look at it in tandem with other prophecies. He says, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling, the, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by, by the sword and lived. And this translates an image as a statue. Make a statue. Make an image. I think it's very interesting in the days in which we live today that you see a lot of statues coming down, a lot of statues falling. And people on one side of the political spectrum, they're saying, yeah, let the statues fall, you know, total disregard to history. And then people on the other side of the spectrum, they're saying, no, let the statues stay. It's historical, historical uh, uh, monument to, you know, whatever past there was, good, bad, and ugly. All these statues are falling, not just in the United States. You know, I'm in the Western United States, but European countries, you know, in, in uh, Russian countries, you're starting to see, okay, all, all these statues are falling. And don't forget that what this prophecy says, in the last days, there's going to be an image that's erected, a statue to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And what is the beast? You know, it, it, when you look at the conglomeration of aspects of this beast from the sea, remember in verse 1, it says, the beast rising up of, of, out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. These ten horns are certain kingdoms. So it's almost like homage to a world system. I mean, if you look at like, you know, Google pictures of the United Nations, Google pictures of the European Union, you know, it's, you look at the modern architecture of, I'm not a fan of modern architecture, but you see this modern architecture of the uh, European Union, the EU Commission, the, the, the EC or the EUC, and you start to see like, wow, this looks like almost like it's constructed to look like the Tower of Babel. Yeah, man, you Google it. And you can see a woman on a beast, you know, it's like uh, uh, Europa. And you see these things, go to Google Images, and you can see Europa on a beast. A woman on a beast. 
And what do you see on the world stage today? It's you see statues falling. So it concerns me, you know, as a Christian that, you know, understands these things in the word of God, you know, and not, I don't say that boastfully. My boast is in Jesus Christ, but it concerns me that we're living in a generation where you're starting to see statues fall and erasing of history. Statues falling. I mean, it doesn't concern me like, you know, I mean, that concerns me in one aspect, but in another regard, what is the next statue that's going to emerge? What is the next statue that's going to emerge, especially in light of these prophecies, especially in light of understanding that this man with the plan, this man of peace, who is this man of peace that's going to arise on the scene? And how will the world pay homage to him? And in so doing, they're going to worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. That's what verse 4 says. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The world is going to worship the beast. And this false prophet, that's the beast from the sea. The beast from the earth is going to be like the cheerleader. Going to be like the cheerleader. In, in verse 15, look what it says here. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. It translates as a mental disposition, demonic or divine. So I don't know how the, what this is going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be any, you know, there's some theories where there's going to be some AI introduced into this statue or whatever image this is. It could be, I don't know. But when you look at these translations in, in the Greek, it's very interesting to see like, whoa, you know, maybe it's like this. You know, they're just theories for now. We're not going to have clarity until we get further into the last days. This breath is given to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You know who that is? Christians. So the world, as it says here in, in, in verse 4, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who was like the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And it was given in at the end of verse 5, he was given authority to continue for 42 months, which is, you know, a time, times and half a times or three and a half years. In verse 7, it says it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. In verse 15 at the end, cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's Christians. That's you and me. Kill you don't worship the beast? Okay, you're dead. I'm going to kill you if you don't worship. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. They say, okay, I'm going to chop off your head. You say, here, before you take off my head, I love you. God loves you, and he wants you to be saved. Here's Jesus Christ. You're done saying that? Boom. Lift up your chin. Okay, go ahead and slice away. Take it. The last day's church, it's, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, you can look at it in one side and say it's going to be beautiful, but that's the spiritual side. It's going to be beautiful because it's the refining of the bride in preparation for the wedding. But in the physical, literal aspect of it, there's going to be death, death involved. And so in verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. What does this mark mean? It's a, 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 a karagma in the Greek. It translates as a scratch, an etching, a stamp, 
as a badge of servitude. That's how it translates in the Greek. A scratch or etching or a stamp as a badge of servitude. A lot of times people would say, oh, is it a, like an embedded chip? It could be an embedded chip. You're starting to see uh, you know, microchip technology and how it's being implemented. There are certain uh, businesses that are requiring uh, embedded chips in the hands of their employees so they can enter buildings, access certain computer systems. The technology is already here. It's been here for a while. And it's getting, you know, more advanced. But the latest thing now is like smart tattoos. You know, Google it. Smart tattoos. And you'll see, well, you know, these little printout. And then all of a sudden you just like stick it on your hand. Or stick it anywhere on your body. And it's a smart tattoo. That's why you hear me say sometimes we're living in the day and age where it's not just possible, the technology. It's probable. It's probable. And that's what this beast from the earth, this false prophet, he causes all, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. You see, no one can buy or sell without this mark. Not just the mark. It's not, you know, it says the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You see? So, or here in the Greek is a, a y a. It's a disjunctive word. It's mutually exclusive possibilities are included when you use this word or. So, it's not the mark of the beast and the name of the beast and the number of his name. It's not like and in English. It's or. It's mutually exclusive, a disjunctive word. So it's, you know, one of these, the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. People say, you know, oh, okay, then, you know, I won't get the mark, but I'll, I'll, I'll buy and sell by these means. Well, be careful because the Bible specifically says it's you know, either mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom in verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate or count, enumerate, compute, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Chi, si, stigma in the Greek. Some Bible translations, the old school ones, say 603 score and 6. 666. Now, a little, you know, in, in chapter 13, what we just read, we read the entirety of the chapter. That's the Antichrist and the false prophet. Okay, the Antichrist, the beast from the sea, and the false prophet, the beast from the earth. And the false prophet is like the cheerleader for the Antichrist, and he's given power to do signs and wonders, you know, and, and then the world will believe, and, you know, he's going to cause fire come down from heaven, and he's going to cause the world to worship the beast from the sea. He's also going to impose the mark of the beast system. You say, what do you mean? This is the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. Why do you say that it's the, 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 the Antichrist and the false prophet? Well, turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. <clears throat> Revelation 19, verse 19. It says, and I saw the beast. That's the beast from the sea, what we just read in chapter 13. 
the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16, verse 13 through 16. That's the battle of Armageddon. This isn't a study on like the entirety of the end times. This is specifically about the mark of the beast system. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. So verse 20, the first part, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So that's the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, the beast, the antichrist and the false prophet. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. See, that's that's their end. That's their end. It's completely satanic, high, like hardcore satanism. I mean, this is like, you know, Satan in body form. So you see, okay, there's the mark of the beast system. It greatly, greatly, greatly concerns me that this rising theory inside the church is that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. It is entirely permissible to take the mark of the beast. And what do I say? Don't do it. You know why? Because your life depends on it. Your eternity depends on it. You say, oh, but I heard this pastor say it. I heard this seminary say it. I heard this Bible college say it. I don't care. The word of God, the Bible, is our final authority. Don't take it. Do not take the mark of the beast. I don't care who what anybody says. Do not take it. Let's look at Revelation 14. <clears throat> Turn to Revelation 14. <clears throat> Revelation 14, verse 8. Verse 8, Revelation 14 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know, when you start to see these things like in the uh, uh, the European Commission, the European Union, even the United Nations, these references for uh, Europa, and you see images erected where, you know, one building looks like the Tower of Babel, another uh, a statue looks like a, a, a woman on a beast. You know, you see these things and it's like, well, what's really going on here? What's really going on here? What is this going to lead to as we get further and further in the last days? These globalist sentiments, you know, where, you know, it's don't forget all the kingdoms of the world. As you start to see globalization, all of the all of the globalization, it's precursory to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And all the kingdoms of the world becoming his, being given to Jesus Christ. So, I mean, you know, you see globalization like, like, wow, this is a bad thing. And, you know, there's one side of it. It's like, okay, it's a bad thing. But in one sense, down the road, it's a good thing. Because all it's, it's prophetic fulfillment. But then at the same time, you know, all the kingdoms of the world will be given to Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. Or, you know, that kicks off the millennial reign. The fullness of the Gentiles, which coincides with the unblinding of Israel. Just read uh, Romans eleven twenty five, and then read uh, uh, Zechariah uh, 12, 13, and 14. It all coincides. Jesus Christ crowned, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And he'll be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, physically, literally, in the body sense. Today, the Christian, we do it spiritually. 
Lord, you are king of my heart. You are king of my life. You are king of kings and lord of lords. In my old life, I used to be king of my heart. Me. And I bet you in your old life, before you came to Christ, you used to be king of your heart, queen of your heart. You know, if you're female, queen of your heart. If you're male, king of your heart. You, that used to be you. But you come to Jesus Christ. You yield to him. You humble yourself before him. And then you get off the throne of your heart. And you say, Lord, here, if the throne is yours, I'm no longer king of my heart. I'm no longer queen of my heart. Lord, you are king of my heart. You are the king of kings and lord of lords in my heart. He does it spiritually first. And so look what happens here in Revelation 14, verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone, this is I." Tis in the Greek. Itis. It's whoever or whosoever. Any. There's hardcore emphasis on any. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Now, I have to say this. I specifically said and with emphasis. Anyone. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. And I did that for a reason. The word is kai in the Greek. Kai. Kai is conjunctive. It's not like we have and in English. You know, if you were to say, you know, whoever, if, if I were to read this in English, I mean, I am reading it in English, but if I were to read it like if the, if the ancient texts were originally in English, you could have some order to it and say, okay, well, then, you know, somebody has to uh, worship the beast and then they have to worship his image and then they have to take the mark. And so it's like, okay, have all things, these things happened? That's if it were original text in English, but it's not. The original text, we see uh, Greek, Greek, the manuscripts, Greek, kai is the word that's used. It's conjunctive. It's, it doesn't work like the word and in English. It's conjunctive. What does that mean? It's like saying taking the mark of the beast is worship of the beast. It's conjunctive. They're together. You know, you know have you ever heard the saying, you know, you, you make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ and somebody's kind of like thinking, like, mm, I don't know, I like my crack. You know, I like my pornography, I like my alcohol, and but, you know, I like this idea of Jesus Christ, but I don't know yet. And then you tell them, you know what, to be undecided is to be decided. And it's like, whoa, when you put it like that, I'm going to make my decision for Jesus Christ. And that's really what it is. To be undecided about Jesus Christ is to be decided. You just say, yeah, I love Jesus Christ, but I like my crack better. Yeah, I like the idea of salvation, but man, do I love my mess. See, to be undecided is to be decided. You've made your decision. That's what this word is like, kai. It's conjunctive. It's not, there's no separation or, or like, you know, you have to worship the beast and then you have to worship his image and then you have to receive the mark. They're not, you know, step one, step two, step three. And then when you've done all three, then you're, you know, disobedient to the Lord or you're, you're outside of, you know, what the Lord desires. It's to say you do one, you do it all. That's how the word is in the Greek. You do one, you do it all. Kai. K-A-I. Kai. 
taking the mark of the beast is worship of the beast. It's not a subjunctive word. Not subjunctive. You know, if it were conditional, then you'd see a subjunctive word there. But there is no subjunctive word. You see the conjunctive word, which is kai. And I say that because there are pastors, Bible teachers, seminaries, colleges. You know, people want to get their degree in theology. They go to these mainline colleges, you know, theology school, seminaries, where they're taught you have to do all these things together. You have to do, you have to worship the beast, and then you have to worship the image, and then you have to receive the mark. If you don't do all three, you're okay. No, that is unbiblical. The word is kai, conjunctive. It's to say, you've taken the mark of the beast, okay? You've worshipped the Antichrist. You've worshipped Satan by doing that. It's very, very important to understand kai and conjunctivity and words of conjunctivity. You say like, wow, you know, I I don't want to get too nitty gritty. Well, you know, if we're the last day's generation, you better get nitty gritty. (coughs) You better get nitty gritty. You know why? Because a lot of pastors, a lot of Bible teachers are saying things like, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. A lot of pastors well-respected pastors. These pastors who, you know, proclaim such things, they lose my respect. And I know that when I say that, it's like, whoa, whoa, you know, you shouldn't. These guys should be held in high esteem. Well, I used to. But when somebody starts saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast, I don't, I no longer see them as friend. I no longer see them as safe. People say, well, you know, this guy has, you know, taught me so much about this, X, Y, Z. Okay, let me put it to you in another terms, in other terms. Consider a coach, okay? You're a triathlete. You're you're a triathlete and you're okay, but you want to be the best, okay? So you hire this coach. You pay top dollar for this coach. And this coach has, you know, in his history, he has trained a lot of people who have won, you know, all kinds of awards, and say, say, okay, coach, I'm going to hire you. I want you to make me better. So you're a triathlete. He teaches you how to run. He works out your legs in a manner by which you're able to spring faster. How you're able to run on certain turfs, use your feet, understanding running on mud and dirt, on sand, on, you know, wet mud. You know, well, mud is wet, but I meant like, you know, wet sand. Certain positions, how you have your feet to where you can gain that extra, you know, time, you know, cut, cut, not gain time, but reduce time on, on, on your overall time. Because you're, you're going for the gold. You want the gold. And this coach is training you, training you, training you. And it's the day of the race. And you're number one, you know, from the get-go, boom, you know, the gun goes off and boom, you, get, you have a nice spring in your step. You know, you're first off the line, you're running as fast as you can, and you're using all the techniques that this coach taught you. And then you have about 500 yards left to the end. And what do you see in the distance right at the finishing line? You see your coach digging a hole, and you see the hole is dug, and you see him pouring lava right at the finishing line. 
what does that say about the coach? Right at the finishing line, he presents you with lava to make you fall, to make you stumble. And not just to make you fall and stumble, that's going to cause you to die. What does that say about the coach? And that's how I feel about these mainline pastors, not just mainline, anybody. Any pastor, any teacher, any seminary, any Bible school, Bible college, who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. And then what I say to those people, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, and you espouse this belief that it's okay, you espouse this uh, theory that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and still be saved, two things need to happen. You need to repent and you need to recant. Repent and recant. Because it's injurious to God's flock. Sheep and lamb. Young and old. Very, very injurious to them. Very, very harmful to them. For somebody to believe, okay, I can take the mark of the beast and I'm okay. You know, they might think, okay, I'm not going to be here. I'll be raptured. I'm not going to be here. And then what happens when they are here? And they've been told, okay, so, you know, they're already wrestling with their faith. Uh, prophetically speaking, it's, it's a, a hardcore time where, you know, there's literally hell on earth. And also at a time where there's no love of truth, strong delusion, and a great falling away. And such a person in this environment is going to say, okay, I remember hearing that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'll still be saved. So yeah, go ahead. You know, give me my, give me my chip. Give me my uh, smart tattoo. Give me whatever. Give me the mark. Give me the scratch, the etch, etching, the stamp, you know, as a badge of servitude. Because this guy told me it was okay. This Bible college told me it was okay. This elder told me it was okay. And that's what a lot of pastors are saying in the last days. I don't call them pastors. I have another word for them. You know, hireling perhaps, that might be one. Shill, that might be one. What does that say about the coach that trained you well, but right at the finish line is, you know, putting lava, a pit of lava right there. You say, oh, you know, he doesn't understand these things or, you know, maybe he's doing it unwittingly. You know, let not many people be teachers. That's what the Bible teaches. Let not many be pastors, teachers. Because we're held to a higher account. We're held to a higher accountability unto the Lord. And when you understand Greek, kai, conjunctive words, subjunctive words, it plays a major role in understanding prophecy. If anyone worships the beast, Kai, his image, Kai receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. And a lot of people are excusing. And they're, they're saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast because you take the mark of the beast, you have to buy, you have to get your groceries, you have to get your gas, fill up your gas tanks, you know, do whatever, you have to buy stuff. Just don't worship the beast. Just don't worship the image. No, it's kai, conjunctive. Meaning, by taking the mark, you are worshiping the beast. Look at verse 10 now. 
If anyone, verse 9, if anyone worships the beast, Kai, his image, Kai, receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That's heavy. That's heavy. And there's no period. Comma, which is poured out full strength, undiluted, full strength, into the cup of his indignation. That's where the period is. Into the cup of his indignation. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you hear me, you, you, you'll hear me teach and I say, I don't care what this guy says. I don't care what this lady says. I don't care what this, you know, school says. I really don't care. You know why? Because I'm concerned about your soul. The majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> I don't know who you are. You know, maybe in the, in the course of time, you know, we'll, I'll be able to shake your hand, embrace you as my brother, as my sister. Maybe. But I have to tell you, do not take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. I care what the word of God says. I care what Jesus says. Remember, the word became flesh. Because he is the good shepherd. And you, you belong to him. You're his lamb. You're his sheep. You're not mine. If you're a pastor or elder, the people you teach, they don't belong to you. They belong to Jesus Christ. You know what that means? He wants his sheep. He wants his lambs. And you, O pastor, you, O teacher, are going to tell his people, his flock, that it's okay to take the mark of the beast? When that is in direct contradiction to the word of God? Direct contradiction. Not, you know, slightly, not a slight misunderstanding. This is a direct contradiction to the word of God. In direct servitude unto the Antichrist, unto Satan. You say, whoa, that's too hardcore. There's no other way to live. No other way to live. Do not take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Do not take the mark of the beast. That's why, you know, I have this great, great, great concern about this rising teaching in the church. For such a time as this. Look at the time. It's, you know, th we're not in 1980. This isn't a, a new teaching that's arising in 1980. It didn't even arise in 1990, 2010. It's arising. I see it. I started to see it in um, maybe 2012 is when I first started. Like, wow, this is crazy. Maybe 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. And I'm starting to see more and more. And, you know, I see it a lot in Reformed theology. The same theology that says, once saved, always saved. You can never lose your salvation. And, you know, as we read Old Testament, New Testament, what do we see? Names can go in the book of life and names can go out of the book of life. So what does that say? What does that say about Bible teacher XYZ? What does that say about seminary XYZ? Knowing that names can go in the book of life and names can come out of the book of life. You see, it's very important to understand these truths in original text. Kai. Kai is a big word. Look at verse 10. If anybody takes this 
uh, image, uh, the mark of the beast. Kai, his image. Kai receives his mark on the forehead. Remember, it's conjunctive. Meaning, you take the mark of the beast, you are worshipping the beast. You are worshipping his image. He himself, in verse 10, shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast, Kai his image, who worship the beast and his image, and Kai, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. This translates as endurance or endurance and perseverance of the saints. This is the biblical perseverance of the saints. If you're into Reformed theology, if you're Reformed theology, I don't adhere to tulip. I don't adhere to that. You might. And I don't want to rock your faith to the point where it's like, whoa, you know, I don't want to jolt you that much. But I do want to jolt your understanding of these things. I'm not a tulip guy. I'm not Reformed theology. I'm not a Calvinist. But when you read the passages of Scripture, all these things... Are, are, are called into question. Biblically, what is perseverance of the saints? This is what verse 12 says. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Here is the patience. Translates as endurance or endurance and perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Kai, the faith of Jesus. Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Remember, Kai is a conjunctive word. That's why Brother James writes that faith and works are inseparable. The two work together. It's called belief and obedience. When you read James chapter 2 and he talks about faith without works is dead, remember, it's conjunctive. Kai. And when you read, he says, you know, uh, uh, by faith, Abraham. And then go to the passage in Genesis 20 and you see everything that Abraham did, it was in obedience to the Lord. Abraham himself was obedient obedient unto the Lord. And it was accounted to him for righteousness, righteousness sake. So what does that mean? Faith and works are inseparable, just like Brother James says. Kai. Faith, Kai, works. Just like it says here in verse 12. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Kai, inseparable, conjunctive, the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Remember the penalty, it's going to be your head's going to get chopped off. If you don't take the mark of the beast, your head's going to get chopped off. There is a major religion on the world stage today that chops off the head in accordance with their religion. It is Islam. Islam. Now, if you're Islamic and you're listening to this, God loves you. Elohim. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loves you. So much so that rather than you die and be without him, he wants you to believe in Jesus Christ that you can be saved and that you can be in paradise with him. Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the God of Abraham, period. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. God loves you. But this mainline religion called Islam, 
It's in their teaching. The infidel chop off their heads. There are politicians in European and American countries. Well, I mean, America and European countries. They're saying, you know, let's let's start, you know, embracing Islam, teaching it in the schools. You know, read the news. That's what they're saying. And look at the marriage of these leftist factions that are, you know, uh, coming with these extremists. Leftist extremists with, you know, uh, 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 Islamic extremists. We're living in a day and age with this idea of getting heads chopped off, which it's already happened. It's, it's, it's happened throughout history, but you're starting to see it on the rise. But what happens when this becomes socially acceptable? You say socially acceptable? Look at what's socially acceptable now. Look at what is socially acceptable now. You know, transgender, you know, library, they go to the public library, take little kids, and they have the uh, transgenders in there. Teaching kids, they, they wear all their makeup. And they're teaching kids, but they're teaching kindergartners about transgenderism. If you're transgender, you know, I don't hate you. I love you so much that I want to tell you, God loves you too. God loves you too. He wants you to repent. He wants you to be in eternity with Him. So you know what you need? Jesus Christ. It's going to be crazy in the last days. Crazy, crazy stuff in the last days. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and amplified. And when I say crazy, look at what's going on inside the church. Remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. And that's, that's just for us, the Christian. Judgment comes first in the house of God. And if it's this bad for us, what is it going to be to those who don't obey the gospel? That's what Brother Peter writes. How is it going to be for those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about how it's going to be for them. Judgment comes first in the house of God. And you see the Lord cleaning house. And when I say it, it's, it's, we see all this craziness in the world, look inside the church. Look at the craziness we see in the church where the teaching is being held onto, not let go. The teaching is being held onto that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what this doctor in theology says. I don't care what this seminary says. I don't care what this pastor says. It's a sign of the last days. That the last days are upon us. Verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. There's going to be a very special reward. When we're in heaven in our glorified bodies, I mean, we're going to be on the earth, but you know, there's, it's kind of like, you know, like you see in the Gospels how angels are in the presence of the Lord, but then like, boom, they're on earth. It's going to be like that in our glorified bodies. We're going to be like the angels. You know, it's what the Lord teaches us. You know, people say, well, you know, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. Yes, but it's like, you know, like you have a home and then you have a workplace. It's like you go home, you live at home and then, you know, you drive. It's like you go to work and then you're done with work. You go home. It's like that. You know, yeah, he has a place. He goes to prepare a place for us. It's like, boom, you know, and then like, you know, we work and then we come like, you know, kings and priests in our glorified bodies. The Lord gives us these pictures of what the millennial reign is going to look like. 
But during the millennial reign, I wonder who are the, what are the crowns going to look like? And, you know, are there going to be like little, you know, special rewards where like we know, whoa, this guy was, this guy had his head cut, cut off. You know, yeah, we all worship the Lord and, you know, but whoa, look at this guy. He, he was like, you know, he had the option to take the mark of the beast, but he refused and he had his head chopped off. And look, this signifies that whatever it is. But you see these passages in scripture and for me, it makes me wonder, what is that going to look like? I don't know. But I love it because it just blows up my faith and just blows my, my imagination. Not in my imagination like thinking crazy stuff. My imagination in accordance with the word of God. Correlating pastors that say like, whoa, what is this going to look like? Do not take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Do not take it. Do not take it. You know, and you know, there's as we progress further and further in the last days, there are flaws of certain doctrines. Right now, you know, People have arguments, disagreements. I've been in debates and, you know, arguments. Sometimes they get heated, but not too heated. But I've been in debates, arguments, and, you know, conversations about certain doctrines that I don't adhere to. And for now, they're just debates. They're arguments, points of contention. But as we progress further in the last days, certain doctrines... They're going to be exposed in the last days as we get further. One of them is the rapture of the church, pre-tribulation rapture. What happens when peace comes to... I mean, if you see on the news, you know, you know, Israel and the Palestinians, they sign this peace agreement. And you see all these world leaders, you know, the flashing cameras, all these things. That right there, we're not going to know for sure. But that right there should cause every pre-tribulation rapture person to question the pre-tribulation rapture. We'll know for sure three and a half years later. I'd say maybe two years later, a year and a half later, when you start to see the construction of the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. But if you if we see on the news peace agreement with Israel and her neighbors, that should immediately call into question the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Because in accordance with pre-tribulation rapture, the church won't be here to see that happen. But I don't hold the pre-tribulation rapture. That is a theory. And I don't attack, pre if you're pre-tribulation, it's not an attack to say, you know, like, how dare you? I'm just throwing it out there. If peace comes to Israel, you know, remember me. Remember me. Not to say, like, remember me, but I meant, like, remember these teachings, what I've told you. Because I don't want you to fall away. When there's going to be a great falling away, when there's going to be strong delusion, when there's going to be a, a, a no love of truth. But certain doctrines will be exposed in the last days. This mark of the beast, it's, it's one of them. That it's okay to take the mark of the beast. And I reckon there's going to be a lot more. A lot more doctrines are going to be called into question by the wise virgins. By the wise virgins. You'll have to call into question certain doctrines if you're a wise virgin. Because what's happening when we get into these times, these last days, these events that are prophesied about, what the Lord is doing is that He's refining His church. It's refinement of the church in preparation for the bride, in preparation for the marriage, a bride unto the bridegroom. We're going to end our little study here, our topical message. I love you. God bless you.